Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. Pat, you were home. I'm always home. I'm on tour. Me too. You're doing great, dude. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. This is my advice to you. And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. What's up, GoBundance community? This is Jamie Gruber, guest hosting for Pat Hyben on the GoBundance podcast. And today I'm welcoming in a, a good friend of mine in the GoBundance community. He's a GoBro, he's an investor, and a bit of an RV connoisseur. We'll talk about that. Sergio Altamari, great to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing awesome, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, everything you do and excited to be on, brother. I appreciate that. You and I have connected a couple of times, so I was excited about seeing you on the calendar for this one. Give us, uh, give us the background of you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What'd you do? Give us the story of, uh, of Sergio. Cool. So I got a pretty interesting background. I'm on my second career right now. So uh, going back, born and raised in, in Philadelphia, South Philly, for anybody who knows the city, you know, blocks away from the sports complex. Born in 76, uh, 278, my family decided to pick up and move to Italy. I uh, lived in Italy for two years. I'm sorry, I said 70, 78. I was actually six years old, so it was 82. Picked up and moved to Italy. My parents are both Italian immigrants. I uh, lived in Italy for two years, uh, did first and second grade there. Interesting part about that was even though I could speak Italian, going to Italy uh, by the time I came back, I forgot the English language, so I had to uh, learn it again. It was not that as bad as it sounded to me when you're that young. It kind of uh, comes back pretty quick. I grew up uh, just uh, Italian, hardworking family. Mom's a seamstress. Dad was a tailor. I went to all of the worst public schools in the city, got an internship working for the Federal Reserve when I was 18. 22 years later, and I had worked my way up from a, a file clerk to all phases of technology, left in 2017 after what was started as a side hustle in real estate with my wife and I uh, turned into a full-blown business. We started with buying you know, properties for our own personal investments, which later turned into a syndication business and property management business. 2016, towards the end, we found out that uh, my now wife is, uh, or she was my wife then, but that's we were dating when we first started everything. Uh, you know, we were, she was pregnant. 
She quit. She worked at the Fed as well. She quit in 2016. I quit in 2017 and haven't looked back. I mean, it was, uh, I made the mental transition going from what I call the, you know, getting paid and, and spending, the, the income and spending versus generating wealth and investment uh, mindset. It was around 2007, 2008. I was making a lot of stupid decisions with money you know, heavy in debt, you know, just buying whatever I want on a credit card because I knew that I was getting paid well uh, and then made a shift. It was, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was overnight, but it was in pretty rapid, pretty rapid order. Uh, got into investing in, you know, multifamily, small multifamily, stock market, uh, later Bitcoin, I've done very well in Bitcoin and crypto since and uh, and now we're we're syndicating self storage. We moved away from multifamily, and uh, we've grown our company. We have over thirty million dollars assets under management, going on six self storage facilities, uh, one hundred and fifty units in the residential commercial space. Uh, just started an RV business, RV rental business as a kind of a, a, a side project. I had some money sitting around and just you know, that's what I like to do is just start businesses. And, uh, you know, now my focus is continuing to grow and compound wealth and, you know, filling in the blanks and, and kind of amplifying the parts of my life that I think are going to be most critical long-term, my relationships, health, mindset, and just general outlook, giving back, gratitude, a lot of the things we, we know and talk about in GoBundance. So I got all of my pillars being in the business arena and, and, and personal development, that's the kind of stuff that I think is, comes easy for us because you know, we're drawn to that challenge. That's that game. But overall, now it's about you know, how do I get to be that you know, overall well-rounded individual and, and kind of uh, recognize the blind spots in life to be the most well-rounded and, and living life to the fullest. Uh, that's what where I'm at right now. What happened in 2007, 2008? You said it was a slow transition, but often if you go from, what did you call it? Uh, income and spend to maybe the mindset, at least of wealth generation. What happened? Was there an event? Was it a, a was it, I, I don't know. What was it that maybe precipitated so, the beginnings of that change? If anything. So the, the interesting part of that was, it was more of, um, I always like to say that I like to learn. You always learn from your own mistakes. I also like to learn from other people's mistakes, right? In 2007, 2008, we all know what happened, right? It was a great recession, right? I had a stable job. I had one of these real cushy jobs, the benefits, the whole bit, nice income, but working for the federal reserve, you, you know, that was the, the, the Fed was kind of what supported the government and, and supported the economy at that time. So I was, it was hammered home what that recession meant, you know, when it came to the banking industry, failed banks, job losses, unemployment, all of that. I got to the point where it's like, you know, holy shit, you know, look at me, I'm making all this money, right? And, but yet I'm, living a silly lifestyle. I, I don't want to be 65, 67 and, and worrying about uh, where I'm getting money from and, and, and living off of social security and pensions and that kind of thing. So, so kind of like just, you know, maybe wake up and realize you need to make some adjustments. And at that time I had like 40, I don't know, 40, $50,000 in credit card debt. I can make the payments. I was getting paid well. Um, I don't remember what my salary was, but it was, you know, near six figures. 
but it just was like, you know, this is stupid. This is silly. You know, I read, read uh, Dave Ramsey's book on uh, whatever it's called on get rid of debt. And, you know, and even though like it was, you know, he's got that whole game plan. I make a decision and I'm hundred percent like full bore ahead. So, so for me, getting out of that debt, I, I was able to do it pretty quick. I've always been money savvy. So I was able to kind of like, all right, you know, take a quick loan out of my 401k, pay this off, restructure this, get more into investing. And so I made that transition. And once I did, then I adopted this mentality that I was getting raises and promotions regularly, right? To the point where, you know, climbing that rank, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was happening at a, at a good clip. And right. And so I got used to that. And so what I made a decision then was to say, all right, well, in most cases, the, the typical you know, traditional lifestyle is you get a promotion, you get a raise, your lifestyle adapts to that new income, right? So I made a decision at that point where I was going to say, you know what, I'm going to flip the script. If I'm going to get a 10% increase or, 10, or, or a promotion with a 10% increase, I'm going to also reduce my expenses by 10%. So my objective was to continue to keep widening that gap, right? To income savings and ability to invest. And to this day, it's, it's, I want to say it's a magic formula, but having that mentality that it's like every time I get a windfall, I'm not, I don't want to get fatter, right? I want to get thinner. How do I clip a couple more things? You know, what's that $5 expense that I have occurring on my credit card? Get rid of that shit. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. So it's giving yourself even bigger promotions and raises. I love it. I love it. The, when did that, so if you were like kind of dialing down you mentioned, but it took a little while to sort of to sort of get to the point where you were you were leaning into the new mind. You know, the mindset shifted in 0708, but took a little bit to probably see the lifestyle shift completely. The debt gets paid off, and you're kind of off and running. How long was that, and what was a point at which you felt like you would kind of tip the scales in the favor of who you were now becoming? So I, I don't think it was. You know, probably I would say a year to two years. And, and what I also did was I decided to, I, I got really big into psychology, right? And, and you know, we probably talked about this. I've been meditating for, for a long time, right? And so I, I started to get into psychology. I had some, some, some anxiety issues in my mid-20s and things that brought me to understanding, you know, what about mindfulness and, and you know, really being able to stay focused or, or get focused. And so, from that vantage point, I also knew that if I see a chunk of money in my bank account, it's, it's got a mental effect that says, hey, you can go buy this. You can do that. So what I did was I started to hide money from myself, right? And the way I did that is I started opening up accounts in all kinds of things, right? E-Trade, you know, five different, for three to five different brokerage firms started buying you know, uh, foreign currency gold, eventually, you know, crypto. So what I started to do was I don't want to see that money, right? And so as long as I can deploy that money in different places that are going to be generating more money, then, then it really helped that, that objective. And I didn't feel like I, I was, my objective was to make sure that my lifestyle, I kept myself in check. And then I realized you know, I'm, a, I'm an investor here, right? I mean, even to this day, I mean, I bury my head in books and, and anything. It's like my, my theory, and I don't remember where I, I didn't make this up, but I heard it somewhere and it stuck with me. Every dollar has a job, right? Every dollar you make, it's either working for you or against you. And so if you look at the dollars in your wallet or dollars in your account or, or, or your credit as an employee, how do you make them productive? And if you make your dollars productive, 
hey, you got an army behind you, and and you know the wealth, the compounding wealth is 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 a real thing, and it's um, you know whether it's the rule of seventy two, whatever you want to believe in, it's 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 true and it's magic. How does the Fed come into this now? So you're you're eighteen, going back a little further. You kind of made that. You you kind of went through it quickly. You were going to some pretty, you know, some public local public schools. I was going to say cruddy schools, but whatever. I'm sure they weren't the the greatest experiences from an education standpoint. And then suddenly you're at the Fed. How does that happen? How did you you know win the internship or or earn the internship at the Fed? So so I could tell you offline how I got the job, right? As an intern, right? I, it started as a summer, summer intern and it wasn't, we'll just leave it at that, right? So, so I get the job, right? And, and at that time, I was a likable kid, right? So when I got the job, when I got the interview at the Fed, I interviewed with the right people. That's all I, you know, this might be a cute kid. He can, you know, come in and help. And it was getting into an environment that made me realize that was a professional environment. And I got exposed to people that predominantly had college degrees and, and were highly professional and getting exposed to them and being able to leverage the collective knowledge and wisdom. I mean, everybody, when you're an 18 year old in a company, 20 year old, everybody wants to share advice. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so I leveraged that and I eventually got into IT support. And as in, in IT support, you get to visit with everybody, right? Because I do test, desktop support. And so when, I, when I'm you know, in front of somebody's computer and at that time waiting 20 minutes for the damn computer to reboot, you strike up conversation. Somebody's teaching you about investing. And, and uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard about drip and dividend reinvestments. And, and so it's kind of like just sparked my curiosity, but also made me realize that hey, I'm not exactly an idiot here, right? I, I understand what these people are talking about. And it motivated me to want to work hard. I mean, I always worked hard. That was never an issue. The effort was always there. But even, even to this day, like, you know, joining GoBundance and being, you know, around people like yourself, it's, it's like, man, I didn't think that I could play in this game or this stadium or whatever. And now I'm like, oh, I can hang with these guys. And, and it's, it's, uh, motivating, it's exciting. And so for me, I ended up in IT and, and I've always been curious, a tinkerer. My nights and weekends were sp spent ripping apart computers and putting them back together. So for me, it was like getting paid to do, to be, to work a hobby. And so the climbing the ladder and doing all that, that came easy. I don't know if it, I would say that it was easy because nothing's easy, but it was, it was natural because I was just drawn to it. And so and, and working for a large organization and, and being in IT, I was able to, you know, have different jobs. Over the course of 22 years, I had over 10 jobs, right? Mm -hmm. I moved to different departments, different divisions, different forms of IT, information security, project management, enterprise architecture, you name it. So that exposure, I mean, I'm like a sponge, right? And so, so that's really how that kind of played out. Um, also, now it's helpful to understand as my businesses and companies growing to understand, you know, successful organization and strategic planning and establishing goals. Not to say that they did that right, because Fed doesn't do that right. But anyway, but now that I can, you know, do that now in, in my businesses, I, I've learned, you learn what, what to do, but you also learn what not to do. And, and that's, you know, there's, there's a lot there. 
People like, you know, I just exited my W-2 and a lot of people asked about like, or a lot of people, the first thing they say to me is like, oh man, I can't wait to do that. And it's like, I, I get that. I get that sentiment, right? Because there is a sense of freedom. We were just talking about before we recorded, you know, for me, there's a sense of, uh, of wow, I can structure things my way. I don't have to show anybody that I'm doing anything, right? I, it's my life. I get to do it my way. But at the same time, I say to a lot of people that I think the, the, the healthy mindset that I had in eventually leaving my W-2 started years prior, which was I worked for a large corporation, a successful corporation. There are systems, processes, not all done perfectly to your point, but take that time and learn it. At least understand what's right, what you don't like and what you would do differently. But if you just sort of blinders on and saying, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, I can't wait to get out of here. You're looking past a treasure trove of opportunity to learn, in my opinion. And like you, I did the I don't think I had a job more than two years in a row in my career, you know, my 21 years at the company. So right. uh, I just absorbed what I could and hope to apply it as I go forward. So yeah, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it is, is really um, taking advantage when you work for working for a company that has resources and provides resources to employees. I worked around a lot of people that, Oh, I got to go to this training. I go to this training. I'm like, bring it on. Right, you're you're helping me grow. Why am I? Why would I ever refuse that? And and whether or not you know some of it was terrible, like the you know some of the compliance stuff that is just checking boxes. Some of that is 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 not the greatest. But you're 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 in a uh, you know in a place to learn, and so you take advantage. You're, I'm developing. I always operated with a chip on my shoulder, and it probably goes back to my parents that you know just their work ethic. But if you operate uh, operate out of a place of continuous learning, continuous education, I'm not just contributing to the company. I'm building my skill set. I'm building my knowledge. I'm building my wisdom. So when it came time to leave and I had worked in all these different divisions, all these departments around so many people, I had knowledge of so many different things, um, even just the inner workings of the Fed, if you will, that you know, just give you that little bit more confidence that number one is you, you have a lot of knowledge. And the second part is you have the ability to learn it. And that's, that's the key part, right? Cause you always got to continue to learn. Makes sense. No, I love that. Let's flip to the end. When you did exit your W2 flip to the end of, you know, you turn to the beginning, you end, exited yeah. uh, in 2017. I think you said, were you one for one at that point? What I mean was, were you, you know, in GoBundance uh, ease, were you 100% or had your businesses grown to the point where you were either covering your expenses and or making what you were making at the Fed? Or did you kind of take a little bit of a bet on you that, yeah, I'll take a step back, but you see steps forward? What was your exit like? So it was probably a combination thereof, right? So I had the rental properties. And at that time, it, was, it wasn't a big, you know, it wasn't a big number. We had about a dozen units in total that were, were our properties. But and I, and I never took that money and, and spent it outside of reinvesting it in the business and buying more properties and whatever. So that wasn't money that I was counting on, right? I was, if when the day that I left, if I stopped everything, the net rental income would probably cover my mortgage, right? Probably mm -hmm. cover my mortgage. So So with that, right, the biggest expense we have in life was pretty much covered. It, it wasn't that I was counting on that, but it gave me at least that sense of comfort. But what I started to do, and, and it wasn't intentional initially, was I started to accelerate my savings. I talked about you know my strategy of building gaps. So now I'm not spending as much. Like each paycheck, I get a lot more, right? So, so 
the day that I decided, even the day that I decided, and, and it really culminated in the span of five months where I went from my plan is a seven to 10 year plan to a five month plan. And, and a big part of that was my daughter was born. My priority shifted. I wasn't, I, I, I climbed the ladder to get around this table of, you know, executives and leadership. And my role itself was like in, in strategy. And, but I wasn't working with people that where, where, where strategy was, I want to say welcome is probably a wrong word, but the strategy working with a bunch of IT guys, it, it doesn't always align one to one. Your head against the wall a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I wasn't getting the job satisfaction. I was kind of always a boots on the ground. Let me get shit done kind of guy. So I wasn't, I didn't have that, that satisfaction, but when I made that decision, when I made that decision, well, you know, this is, this is the end is closer then you know needs to be closer, right? I had built up a coffers, and I, I tell people now that it's it's building that bridge, right? So I stop work here, right? There's kind of like this moat of uncertainty, you know, no revenue, no income type of thing, and now I need to get across that to where I'm back on the uh, uh, a strong positive revenue plane. So what I did was leading up to that was I refinanced a couple of my properties, right? I pulled out the equity that I had forced into them over the years. So in doing that, now I left my day job with a big chunk of money in my bank account, a business that I knew that I was I I, I can grow and and there was the ability to do that. Um, and then the rest was just betting on myself. So I, I made sure that I had six, eight a year worth of expenses covered because I said, you know what? If this entrepreneurship doesn't work out, I'll go find another job. I mean, I had the resume, right? I wasn't like I wasn't like 55 and just laid off and struggling to find another job. I, I you know, I got a wall full of certifications and degrees and all that. So, so I wasn't kind of, I wasn't as worried about it. And then, you know, there was some uncertainty about the benefits thing. And then I just said, you know what, I'm healthy enough. I'll deal with it. Yeah. It's kind of what I get. It's funny. It, a lot of similarities, the same thing. The benefits was probably the last thing, like whatever. I got Cobra. If I need to for a bit, how much is it? I kind of swallowed that like, all right, is what it is if I need to do that and then move on from there. So no, I'm with you. At some point you just, you just know, I think Osborne calls it a, uh, was it like a, a whisper, a, 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 yeah. a quiet whisper that just tells you it's, you know, it's time to kind of roll. So I like that. What's up everybody. This is Pat Hyben and Tim Rode, uh, founders of GoBundance and we wanted to give you a quick sneak peek of our August event coming up in Steamboat, Colorado. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback that you'd love to see us kind of go back to the old ways. Want to see us do the one sheets, want to see go talks, more connecting at the event. So we're committed this year and we promise, number one, all four elders are going to be there. Number two, it's going to be 50% on stage, 50% off stage, which means you know, 50% of the time at least is going to be spent interacting with all the other members. And some of the cool things that we got going for you on stage is, of course, as usual, we're going to do the bull versus bear. And we really, really put our heads together and said, what is something that's debatable? And that one thing is retail. So we are going to bull versus bear on the asset class retail real estate. Is that going to bomb or should you be buying into that? 
That's number one. We're going to be doing the ever popular 728 program with Aaron West, Daniel Del Real. We're going to have David Osborne leading three businesses through the gauntlet. The gauntlet. And if you haven't seen the last gauntlet, the gauntlet is basically it's a shark tank. David's going to run the shark tank. He's going to be like the three shark tank judges all in one. Actually, what he's going to be is he's going to be like the, the, lead, the interactive guy. And then the audience is going to be like the judges. So the three Shark Tank people will come and present at the gauntlet. Then they'll go into a soundproof booth. And everybody will rip them to shreds in the audience. So it'll be really, really cool and very engaging as to um, how people pick apart investments. And, of course, they're real investments. So afterwards, if you want to throw some money down on it, you can too. And then during the day, of course, we'll be getting the goods in the woods. We have all sorts of fun things lined up for you. Plenty of options to play hard, to uh, play light. However you play, there will be a way for you to get it. Yep, and something we're going to do that's, that we haven't done before, we're going to have a very organized golf tournament going to be a GoPod golf tournament or if your GoPod is not there then you can just pick a random foursome. We're also going to have an ultimate frisbee GoPod challenge. So in your GoPod you're going to go against other GoPods in a game of ultimate frisbee and we're going to bracket it and we're going to have a huge prize at the end for the winner. So here's the deal. Sign up. Come to Steamboat in August. Here's all the information on the screen. We look forward to seeing you there. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Let me just one more thing before we move into the into kind of the one sheet portion. I want to talk about the RV rental business. I know there's been a lot of interest around, around the tribe in this a lot of guys touching you up. Hey, maybe we can save you some time. Maybe you can put on tape right now in this podcast enough for you to refer to anybody like, hey, here's the answers to all your questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it's the, the RV rental business is is I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's not typical of the way that I, you know, pursue things, right? You're generally from an investment, you do your due diligence and and whatever. And and for me, I'm a numbers kind of guy. So crunching numbers, doing the underwriting and that kind of thing, right? So I'm I'm pretty good at sensing when there is an explosive growth in kind of an industry and you just say, I just want to be in, right? And mm -hmm. I can kind of, I'm smart enough and, and have the confidence enough that I'll, I'll figure things out. And it started with my wife and I getting into the, the RV and outdoors and camping uh, world, I guess better part of three years. I mean, we did 10 camping here and there, but we, we bought our first uh, RV pretty much to be a mobile hotel room for operating our first self-storage facility. It was, uh, you, things weren't going well with hiring people. We said, you know what, the hell with this. Let's just ultimately buy an RV. And it was an hour and a half away, put it at a campground. That'll be our hotel room, right? When I got to, when I got exposed to it and all the different models and variations and sizes, I was really uh, I was fascinated. I said, you know what, these things, some of these things are nicer than the apartments that we manage. So, so, so that got us excited. And then it was, let me buy something used and cheap because I don't know how much we're going to use it. Right. And so it turned out that we used the hell out of it. Right. We really enjoyed it. And especially during COVID, it turned out to be you know great because got my daughter 
you know, away from all the, you know, the, the masks and, you know, and campgrounds, it's you're naturally socially, socially distanced and, and all that stuff. So fast forward to the end of uh, last year. And uh, I, I will say, uh, well, probably even, you know, I guess it was around there. So uh, go bro, Kevin, Kevin Miller, right. Just getting into talking to him and I don't know how the, the RV and camping, you know, came up and he told me about his son doing really well in, in RV rentals. And, and I had already been heard some of that from the, the, the RV dealer that I bought the sales guy that I work with um, in, in Westchester. And so, you know, basically, Oh my God, the demand is through the roof and blah, 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 blah. So, so we decided that we were, we wanted to do more, uh, distance traveling in our RV. So, and the way you do that is with a class C motor home or class A or whatever. Uh, so we had a travel trailer hooking that thing up at, you know, getting it to where you're going, unhooking it. It's a real pain in the ass. It's a half hour, 45 minute process, right? The other motor homes are more expensive. So, but we knew that in order for a rental business to be successful, you got to have vehicles that people want to rent. So I was able to convince my wife that let's, let's buy a, you know, a motor home. And when we're not using it, we'll list it on RV share or outdoorsy. Okay, fine. So we put in an order. So now my brain, and this was, I don't know, November or something for delivery, like uh, February, March of this year, we actually got it like six weeks, six weeks ago. In the meantime, and we'll probably touch on some of this, I started selling off some of my smaller multifamily properties. I wanted to transition more into self-storage and, and businesses in general and, and acquiring businesses and bolting on ancillary stuff to, to what we have. For the, the RV stuff, I knew that number one is the big thing that you need is a place to store them, right? Guess what? I know somebody who has self-storage facilities, right? So I said that, right? And so that was that part was easy. So check, we got that, right? And then it was, all right, um, I started to think, all right, if we're going to do this, it's better at economies of scale. I love economies of scale. So I convinced my wife, I said, you know what? Let's just go buy another one. And I said, mentally, I, I, I'm able to, I've done so much underwriting that I could kind of run through some numbers pretty quickly in my head. It's by no means, you know, scientific at this point, but I said, all right, if I get this other RV, right, I'm going to pay cash for that, right? If I can rent it out in, you know, 26 weeks a year, you know, I went by conservative numbers. I leveraged the RV dealer because they did it for so many years. And so I kind of like picked his brain. And when you buy, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in RVs, they're going to give you, you know, they're going to talk to you. So he kind of gave me like a framework templates to use to for private leasing. And with, you know, knowing Airbnb and how popular that is, VRBO, it's like RV share outdoorsy. It's like, all right, it's it's the same thing, except it's a depreciating asset. But if I buy it new in two years, I'm going to get rid of the thing because at that point, I'm going to operate it as, as you would any rental car business, mm-hmm. right? So I went into it with that mentality. So we bought the second one, right? And I immediately threw it out there. I got a 3D Matterport camera. I have that for our property management business. So I was able to immediately put higher quality ads out on the platforms. And next thing you know, I got you know thousands of dollars worth of bookings. So now as of where I'm sitting right now, it's probably somewhere you know close to $20,000 in bookings. I spent a few hundred dollars on, you know, sewer electric water hookups and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's under warranty, you know, these things, uh, I've got the insurance on it. So when I, even when I run the numbers that way, the way these things are reselling, it's like, 
you know, it's a, it's, if the worst case scenario, it's going to offset a family hobby of us traveling and doing that. Best case scenario is I make a solid return on my investment and got a bunch more write-offs. So that's how it's come about. I've now taking it to the next level. I have a website being developed. I had a conversation with a, a third-party platform to be able to have my own booking facilities. So I'll leverage the RV share outdoorsy. I'll leverage them for general marketing and then my own organic marketing through networks. Hey, you want to rent a bar RV? So combined, I'll, I, I feel like I'll have the reach. And then from there, it's just what other opportunities do I have? Rent, uh, you can rent, uh, you know, bathroom supplies. You can rent, uh, you know, uh, 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 pots, pans, you know, that I, you know, I'm thinking about adding electric bikes, bike racks, canoes, kayaks, right? Because I, I have the facilities to store all this stuff. And quite honestly, if I buy it, and it doesn't work out, I mean, I'll do always do a test run, you know, let's test it out, I'll do it with one, right? In some mm-hmm. case, I said, hey, I can market it without it, right? And just say, hey, I have kayaks or electric bike, if you want to rent it, and then I set a price, and somebody rents it, I'll go and buy it. Right. So it's like, kind of like, I'm not, I've learned enough that I'm not afraid to take those kind of chances, but it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, taking a, a calculated risk, if you will. Makes sense. I like that. So you're, yeah, rather than just go out and spend a ton of money bringing on the, uh, the kayaks, the electric bike rack or whatever, see if, uh, see if it's something that uh, somebody's going to rent and then, yeah. Okay, cool. I got to run to the store, honey. I'll be right back. (laughs) That's it, man. The beauty of of that is, is, is having the, the means and facilities to be able to do that. Right. I mean, if I was living paycheck to paycheck, where am I getting that? I mean, I know guys that, that we work with, you know, contractors, whatever that we work with regularly that, you know, they, they couldn't come up with uh, money to buy a pack of cigarettes if, if necessary. So, so it's, it's having that. And, but also having the, the, the investor mentality that's, I'm not going out and, and spending a hundred thousand dollars on a new RV and that money's just going to be flushed down a toilet. I'm going to take that and I'm going to generate a hundred thousand, you know, $200,000 from it. And then, you know, even be able to sell it from residual value. It's, it's money making money. hundred percent. hundred percent. Last thing I, I, I lie all the time when I say last question. So this might be my last question before we move on to the, uh, to the one sheet round, but why uh, the shift from multifamily, small, whatever it is into storage or why storage generally? Why is that your space? So in 2017, uh, 2018, and so I quit the day job, 2018, we wanted to be, we rebranded our business, right? Before that, I had built a website, I had, you know, used the logo service. And it was, it wasn't the, it wasn't a brand, it wasn't a company that I looked at and said, you know what, I'm really proud of this, right? So, so 2018, I said, all right, if we're going to do this and do it right, I want to rebrand. I want to. I want to make this more professional. So, so I engaged a third-party consultant, a, a team to actually do it. Even though it was skills that I had, right? But I can't build totally custom websites, nor do I have the time or interest in doing that. So, so we bit the bullet and and got a company to do it. And and they built. I mean, if you look at you know our our logos and everything really high quality. We were really impressed. In fact, we came away with, it was like, wow, now we got to live up to this brand, right? Because at that time it was still just the two of us. And so, so we did that. I spent 2018 
rebranding, right? And now we were looking at, okay, now we want to get into bigger apartment buildings. We did the small multifamily stuff. We want to, you know, we have the ability to raise some capital. I want to do bigger apartment buildings. Well, everything that came to me, when I started, you know, plugging in numbers, I was like, this is way overpriced. I can't generate the returns that my investors expect or that I expect with the, the, the cap rates and with the cost of these properties and, and, and everything. And so I said, at the same time, we were 10 years into a growth cycle. And from all the years at the Fed, I've known economic cycles are about 10 years, right? There's 10 years of expansion. And then there's a couple of years of recession. So I said, all right, this can't continue to go this far, right? Or, or this long. So we knew that, thought that there was a recession imminent, right? So I said, all right, well, the other thing that we need to do is we need to show our investment model full circle. What that means is, as a syndicator, I need to, my 20% return that I'm projecting 15 or whatever, generally speaking, you're going to only hit that when you exit a property, whether it's a refinance or some capital event, sell, whatever. So I started to think about how do I you know, position this? And I knew that there was a recession coming. I couldn't make a bigger apartment buildings work and I wanted to come full circle. So I started to do my research, right? You know, I'm, a, I'm on bigger pockets and you know, reading a lot and, and consuming a lot of content. I ended up landing on one of two things, mobile home parks and, and self-storage, right? Mm. Uh, mobile home parks intrigued me, but I felt that there was a lot more risk. There's, you know, it's kind of like um, the lowest rung of home ownership type of thing. And, yep. and, and if there's a recession, those people are impacted, but self-storage, you know, I started the more I looked into it, I said, wait a minute, Self-storage, now everybody, most people know is recession resistant, right? And during expansion times, people buy more stuff, uh, the kayaks, the canoes and whatever, need a place to store them. During contraction cycles, you know, there's the four Ds, uh, dislocation, divorce, death, and, you know, I forget the other D, right? Downsizing. (laughs) Downsizing, exactly, right? So, that comes into play. So it's, and then you looked at what happened in 2007, 2008, self-storage REITs were the only ones that generated positive returns and you can factor in dividends and whatever. So, so when I put that together, I said, all right, self-storage is, is an industry right now that's still accessible. And even to this day, as I sit here now, we're buying from mom and pop shop owners, right? And, and these folks don't have you know, a dozen facilities and you can be outside of uh, primary markets and access these value add projects and I could generate the returns I need. So, so self-storage became attractive from that standpoint. It became attractive because I got generally concrete slabs, some, some paving and steel buildings. I don't have toilets. I don't have, uh, you know, everything that comes around the roof issues. I don't have all of that that you have with a residential space. Plus, my value add is mostly on the back end and infrastructure. I got to implement technology. Hello, I'm a technologist, right? So implementing technology is my wheelhouse, right? So implementing technology, automating the hell out of the facilities, improving management, operating self-storage facilities by using revenue management, kind of similar to where they, in a hotel, you know, it's seasonal, it's, it's prices are different on the weekend from the beginning. Plus, I don't have to get rid of tenants to create my value. So, so from that standpoint, it's like, wow, this is this is pretty good. 
So we acquired our first self-storage facility. I mean, we sold all the, the, the syndications. Uh, we presented the strategy to our investors and, and they were intrigued enough to said, yeah, I'm in. And uh, so we did. And so we sold from 2018. Last syndication we just sold end of 2020 is the story behind why, but we had exited most of them. We recapitalized our investors and then we just made the pivot to self-storage. We bought our first facility. It was a learning curve. I mean, you could pick up books and, and read all about it, but until you actually get into it and understand what it means to be a true operator and really driving that growth of the facility, it's not easy, right? So even the people that are going into self-storage now that, you know, I laugh and it's like, everybody wants to be in self-storage. And then you look at, you know, the questions that they're asking, whatever, it's just like, if you're going to be your own operator, you're just because you're buying from a mom and pop shop owner, you're going to, you might take over that facility and do exactly what they're doing. Afraid of raising rents, afraid of, you know, really driving, uh, you know, understanding that some occupancy is a good thing, right? So implementing not just the technology, but implementing all the capabilities of technology, right? We implement everything from online ordering, online uh, reservations, online moving, electronic signatures, online payments, auto payments, everything to make that tenant's life easy, right? It's the Amazon of services, right? Amazon makes yeah. you, you, you click one click and you order something, right? Well, how many times do you buy something because of that one click, right? If I, if I implement that, regardless of what I'm doing, we even implement that in our, our uh, property management business. I want to make it easy as possible for people to pay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've been able to successfully do that. I mean, we've, we've uh, increased the value of our properties uh, the self-storage facilities that we just bought, we closed on three in January, end of January. We've already, it was a $7.3 million deal. With our revenue management plan, we've already increased the value over a million dollars. And that's incredible. In under two months. So yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. That's incredible. And only going, only going to go up from there. So that's, that's yeah. amazing. I and like your been, point about We've been ultra aggressive with that because, you know, we're talking about facilities that are 100% full and we were like, we need to hit the spring market. We need some vacancies to get some of these rates higher. So let's be ultra aggressive. And we're like, okay, we're ultra aggressive and nobody's moved out. No one's leaving. (laughs) So it's beautiful. You see it in the apartment space a little bit too right now. I mean, just generally anything like this with, uh, with prices going up that, there's not a lot of options out there. You know, you think you know, I'm pushing it a little bit. It's going to be sticker shock for somebody, but like we all do, you'll look around and you'll say, well, all right, I can clear out this unit and go over there for almost the same amount because I'm mad at the new owner, or I can just leave it there and pay the same, maybe even less than uh, a facility up the street. So yeah. And, and with any kind of investment, it's like, you know, you're, you got to be careful, consider who you're competing with. Right. So if you like, you know, you, you draw a quadrant, right. You draw yep. a quadrant. You don't want to be in the upper left, the upper right corner. You don't want to be in the lower left corner. Right. You want to try to hover right in between there. And so you look at, you know, a- area, um, you know, property type class, you know, the different components and pricing. And then you kind of hover into the area where you can, turn some dials and move higher into a quadrant. So it's, it's kind of like being strategic from that standpoint. If you do that right, you, can, you don't have to, we're not competing with extra, pace, extra space and public storage. I'm not in those markets. I don't have to be in those markets, but the markets that I'm in, I'm just going to provide better service. I'm going to provide easier access and understand where the rates should be. And that's it. The Amazon parallel is a good one. I like yeah. that a lot. 
All right, let's dive into the one sheet, the baseball card of your life, if you will. And we're going to go pillar by pillar, starting with horizontal income. So let's start there. What is your current horizontal income yearly and how many lines is that? So my horizontal income for 2020 was uh, 620000 um, I will say that a, a chunk of that was uh, capital events and, sure. and repositioning. I'm not afraid of uh, one thing I've learned and, and I had a, a feeling about it and, and Pat Highband, um, he like kind of reinforced it is capital gains events are not necessarily bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing is, is I, you know, I, before I went into selling my, my personal properties, I always thought about all the way to 1031 exchange subcases that forces you to make decisions and, and trading out of uh, a high priced asset into another one. Right. So, so I made some strategic decisions last year. Um, from a vertical income, it's it's it was negative last year, and that's and, and part of it's intentional, right? You keep your vertical income low enough, then your capital gains, you know, you're not paying taxes on it. So right. being strategic there. So so I purposely kept my vertical income low, and and I still to this day continuously do that. I'm mostly in a big capital event type of mode. Although uh, some of that's going to change with, you know, some of the stuff we're doing in, in syndication this year is it's probably going to be higher. I'm, you know, I, I have those strategic conversations with my CPA early on the year. If you're listening, don't have it in December, have it early in January. Yeah. That's how you plan your year and, and recognize what big income uh, events that might I have. So this year, I'm expecting that uh, horizontal to be uh, somewhere between 750 million, uh, maybe more, and uh, vertical uh, 250 plus. That's the part I want to keep that one down. Yep, that makes perfect sense. What percentage uh, of your business is in real estate versus maybe private companies or the businesses that you own? If that may, can you can you separate that? Um, I can because um, everything I do, I, I look at it and it's taken me a long time to learn that, right? So, so there's the real estate ownership piece where I have a, a stake in, in property as a, you know, a syndication sponsor, general partnership, and even limited partners. So I have the ownership piece, but then there's, then there's the business that of each is its own business. So I have a property management company. Right, I have my syndication business, uh, uh, consultation business. I have um, my RV rental business there, and uh, working on a, another project on creating a coaching platform. So um, all that to say is those are I consider those businesses, and the real estate I own is the actual self storage facilities. Um, it's four going on six facilities. We're going to close on a couple um, next month, and I'm and I'm both the general partner and and limited partner in those, um, and then otherwise, um, I don't consider. I mean, other investments in. Actually, I'm in other businesses. Like uh, one is uh, called uh, Fortitude Ranch. I'll plug that. It's a um, survival community uh, business that, in good times, is kind of like a country club membership type of uh, you know destination. There's a few locations across the U.S. and in bad times, it becomes a, a survival community. I did that more of the pandemic kind of shocked me and said, all right, well, how prepared am I when you go to the store and you can't even find toilet paper, right? Mm-hmm. That scared me. So that's that's a 
both a, a business investment. Um, I'm on the board of, of, of the company now, as well as uh, there's a real estate component to that. So, so I, I, I have separated them out and I treat all of my businesses as a business in terms of balance sheets, profit and loss. And, and even, you know, if you have uh, rental properties, just the management of that really needs to be contained that way. I have equities, I have a uh, decent amount of uh, crypto. If, if you're, you know, on the IRS side, I, I don't own any of that, but um, so, so, and then from there, uh, uh, hard assets, um, you know, I have my RVs, they're, you know, depreciating assets, but anything that is worth something, um, I consider, you know, I have even foreign currency. So sure. quite a collection of things. Yes, you do. Yeah. You're a Renaissance man. The uh, survival, the survival business is a whole other podcast. That would be interesting to get into. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, let's switch over to age defying health. So what is your current weight and body fat percentage? So this is, this is cool, right? So my uh, weight is about uh, 160 or so. I'm six foot tall. So generally, I've always been on the thin side, right? But I've been as high as, uh, you know, 180, 190. But I've been kind of teetering uh, on, um, you know, been really playing with my diet this year. And I went from a, a practicing, like, wannabe, like, vegan to a in keto diet, right? And that, yeah, yeah. that change happened at in Tahoe, right? So, oh, so I had talked to a bunch of people that were doing really well as, as a vegan. I said, all right, let me, you know, I've always been a carnivore. So let me, let me try that. And, and so I, you know, we kind of cleaned the house out of meat. And so I did the, the vegan thing. But what I found is I was continuously drawn to uh, meat like replacements. And it was, it was making me miserable. And then um, go fast forward to Tahoe and, and, and Gary Tubbs uh, talk on, he really made a compelling argument for a case against sugar. And I've known this because anytime I wanted to lose, you know, belly inches, it's always been just eliminate carbs, right? Just yeah. get rid of the bread, the sugar. And so that's pretty easy for me. So I've been doing really well in this diet. Um, I've probably burned 5% body fat in the last like month or so. I'm right now I'm wearing some tactical pants that I bought years ago that I, I liked them so much. I bought like a half a dozen pairs and then I outgrew the, the waistline. So I'm back wearing them. So my body fat is probably, I don't know, 15, 17%. My goal for the year is to get a single digits. Wow, man. That's amazing. And 5% in 30 days ish. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, can, I mean, I, I can burn, I can burn pretty good. I mean, I've yeah. got my, 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 uh, Bowflex Velocor bike. And so, you know, I'm well, your, your brand, you said it at the beginning, your personal brand is I made a decision <laughs> that's, that should be on your, that should be on your headstone one day. I made a decision. Cause that's the hard part for you. And once you do, it sounds like, yeah, that's that it. parts. Yeah. That's you're that's, locked in. That's it. Yep. yep. That's very cool. All right. What's your, so you talk about keto. How about exercise? What do you do with exercise? So I've actually, so over the years, I've always thought, I, I always thought that it was like, you know, if I wanted to bulk up, it's always, you know, go to the gym and spend an hour. And then last year with my GoPod, uh, we decided we were going to have a challenge of doing a hundred push-up or I'm sorry, five, a thousand push-ups in between our GoPod meetings. And that was every two weeks. So it was a thousand, essentially 500 push-ups a week. Mm -hmm. And I was in Cape May for the most of last summer. 
and I started to do just push-ups. Mm. And what I noticed was like, holy hell, like I, I feel stronger. I, I, you know, I don't have to spend an hour in the gym. And so I started to do some more research and just general calisthenics. And what I found is that um, for my body type, for me, for my schedule, push-ups, dips, uh, I'm going to be incorporating pull-ups and, and cardio is really all I need. And mm-hmm. as I've learned more about calisthenics and, and, you know, I'd rather be the more flexible, flexible, naturally strong guy than big bulky. I mean, cause when I try to like bulk up, I mean, I got to eat a ridiculous amount of food. So, and it doesn't really work well with my lifestyle and being fast. So I kind of like found a real sweet spot rail right now. I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy with it. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at exercise wise. It's amazing, dips, push-ups, pull-ups. Like those, I've heard a lot of people, like uh, Kevin Hart. I remember hearing him say, "If I could do anything, if I if I do nothing else but, it would be push-ups, pull-ups, dips, sit-ups, that kind of thing." So. Well, if you remember, I mean, you remember Herschel Walker. I mean, Her- yeah. Herschel Walker. He was he was a like a specimen, and they used to say that that's what he did. And you yeah. think, ah, you know what? He's just he's a he's you know that's an oddball. I challenge anybody. You do it for uh, sixty days, ninety days. You're straight pushing. I don't care if you to do anything else because it incorporates your 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 shoulders. It incorporates your 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 gut. It incorporates your arms. I mean, you could vary the push-ups. And so for me, it's like, holy shit! I found the nirvana of the exercise. I don't have to go to the gym. Yeah, why? <laughs> so it's I it's awesome. It. That is awesome. Very good. I might have to implement that. You might have just you just stoked the challenge in my mind. So we talked a little bit about your family, wife, daughter. What? Tell me a little bit more about them. What does your your wife do now? What's her role, if, if any, in the business? So, oh yeah, she's, I mean, we're founding partner and she's COO. Uh, she's also chief of staff. So she's the, the kind of started to realize that I'm definitely operating at a, a visionary level and she's more of a uh, meats and potatoes. What do I have to do type of person? So we've kind of morphed into that model where she's handling the, the execution and I'm operating at a higher level. Uh, she's an interesting enough, a classically trained opera singer. Uh, she moved from, from, from Los Angeles to Philadelphia on an opera contract. And then when she realized that the, the music industry doesn't pay, like literally doesn't pay. I mean, they had contracts that didn't get paid on. Uh, she got a day job working at the fed. She eventually got into um, it project management. So uh, we've been married since uh, 2014. My little girl is, and she still sings now. Uh, you could find her at Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church. Uh, that's where she's singing now, just choir mostly. And my daughter, Stella, she just turned four. She's a, uh, she's a character. She's a, a great blend of my wife and I. You know, we, we're, our, our parenting philosophy is more of what I've learned recently is a thing is unteaching, right? And it's kind of like mm. letting her find her way and instilling good values, behaviors, being polite, respectful, and letting her learn her way. And she's 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 awesome. I mean, she's 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 the she's the purpose for everything now. And it's I mean, you have kids, it's it's just magical. And so yeah, so that's yep. that's my life and priorities definitely shifted, maybe not knowingly, but if you track back, it coincides almost exactly with the birth of my first son, you know, five, six years ago. So uh, I'm with you on that. And uh, my, my wife and I have been talking a lot about the sort of Acton Academy 
path, that sort of thing, as opposed to traditional education. We we're not home educators. We're just that's we don't have the patience for it. But to do something other than where they're where where kids get to learn, from what I understand, at their own pace. And we had this discussion in, in the the dad's micro tribe, what you what you run, um, or that discussion is ongoing with uh, is this the right route? How does it work and all that? So. Very, very uh, and, and we've made the decision. I mean, COVID, we were kind of kicking the tires around it and, and kind of COVID solidified it, right? And, and what I mean by that is what we saw, what, what kids were being exposed to our lumpies, what happened with school, like really, you know, I mean, a lot of kids got set back a year from this yeah. whole Zoom, you know, they couldn't get this thing under control. And it really just solidified. I, I don't want my, I don't want her to have a, traditional education because now um you know i i don't want to get into you know anything political or anything but it's it's more of they don't teach fundamental things they don't teach investing they don't teach accounting they don't teach the things that you and i know that we need to really excel in life it teaches you the status quo and you know you join you know this uh you know lacrosse and go through this and you go to college and whatever they don't teach the things that you need so we decided that we're going to take matters into our own hands, whether it's Acton Academy, homeschooling, homeschooling. We're, we're still um, figuring out what that is. And, you know, we want to travel. So, yeah. you know, we're learning from a lot of go, go bros and, and what their models are. And I'm about let's pick the best of it and we'll figure it out. Roll with it. I like it. All right. Contribution. What, uh, what is your give back ratio? So my give back ratio is... Uh, hovering about ten percent, and okay. and historically, historically it was. I didn't. I, I don't know that I counted all of what I now believe is giving back. Right. It's it's one thing to donate money, and and I've always done that. But giving giving money is not is not it's not as tangent. Right. It's not you can't see, touch, feel the results. So I've always, I mean, I've done big fundraisers when I worked at the Fed. We always used to have, you know, adopt families for Christmas. So I've always wanted to help. And, but now it's more than just what we consider people in need, right? Whether it's poor, you know, disability, whatever. Now it's also helping lift people up. You know, I, I consider what you do emerge. I mean, your, your give ratio is, is sick, right? That's true. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Good point. So, I, I mean, I, you, you can't, what you're doing and helping and giving back, it's, it's yeah. not, it's not a commercial of, you know, kids with, you know, uh, starving to death, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. what are you contributing to better the world around you? And, and so from that standpoint, you know, whether it's helping my neighbors and, and just being out there, I'm all about it. And so we, you know, we participate in charities. We're always trying to find what else can we do. But in many cases, a lot of it is, is trying to help our peers. I mean, I look at it just even our syndication business, we're exposing people to investments that they otherwise might not get on their own. So I say how, I mean, that's philanthropic. That's, that's, you know, you know, you know, that's, that's it. We've also recently brought in a, uh, a housekeeper, if you will. And so we've got her kind of collecting say, okay, I'm okay with, if I bought something, I'm not going to put it in the trash, but if, if I donate it, okay, I'll, I'll donate it. It's going to go to a better cause. So it's mm-hmm. kind of being more holistic in, in how I view that. I like that. That's a great point though. There is more to, and that's why I think the, the hours contributed is just yeah. one element of, you know, it's not just the money contributed, but hours contributed and how you define that 
is really individual. So I like that a lot. Let's switch over real quick. Who's in your GoPod and how often do you meet? So my GoPod is Kyle Stacy, Adam Labar, Marcelo Munoz. And we're, it's interesting because we've always met at least uh, every two weeks, but we've, we've recently, uh, we recently, well, I shouldn't say recent now. It's been a while. We actually started a business together, right? And and uh, I'll plug it here. It's called Prosperity Coaching Collective. And and what it is, is we are building a platform of uh, what we're calling essentially like a coach marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so as someone who's looking to pick the brain or get a different level of education can go to this marketplace I'm interested in, in, in sales skills, right? That might be Kyle. I'm interested in syndicating apartment buildings. And that's Adam. I'm interested in syndicating self-storage. Mindset can be any of us. Uh, leaving W2 can be any of us. I'm interested in, in building international business. That's Marcelo. So we're <clears throat> fix and flip. That's also Marcelo. So we're trying to, we're building this uh, platform together. And it really just came out of our interest in, in wanting to teach and educate. And so, so now our GoPod meetings are business oriented, right? We're working with the teams to kind of create the website and the entire platform. So we use WhatsApp, we, we connect regularly um, on that. So it's, it's, uh, we've, it's kind of our little, we've, we've developed quite a little brotherhood. That's cool. You're not the first. That's that's neat to hear. There's been a few pods. My pod keeps talking about maybe trying to pull resources and, and invest in something passively or maybe take an apartment building down together or whatever. But uh, I know Luther Hagen's pod uh, with Shane Swanberg and a few others, uh, Nigel Geisinger, they recently bought like an RV park or, tr- or mobile home park plus a, a multifamily. It's neat to see the pods doing what you just described. You know, that's that's. I talked to a lot of people about maybe being in GoBundance and they asked what the pod experience is. And this is what I try to explain. It's like, it's really up to you, but it goes from great conversations all the way up to business partners, right? That's what yeah. it boils down and, to. And what's, what's, what's awesome about it is how it basically came about was we were having lunch together and it was like, oh, you know, I'm doing some coaching. I'm doing some coaching. I'm doing some coaching. It's like, wait a minute. We're all doing similar things. We're all business owners. Why don't we, I mean, once you learn the, the, the right structure and things that you need for a business, then it's kind of like, well, let's just start another one. That's the whole serial entrepreneur type of thing, right? I love it. I love it. I've taken like a half page of notes here uh, on stuff from this. I'm dead serious. This is really, really fascinating. I mean, we've talked, but this has been cool for me. So thank you for humoring me and all my oh, questions. Really? We'll bring it home with a question from the uh, GoBundance card game. It's the king of diamonds, the random question. I didn't reveal this to you earlier. So here it comes. Do you think you will outlive most others your age and why? Huh. Now I'm going to get philosophical on you. I, I, I don't look at it as the short answer is no, I'm going to outlive most people because how I define life, right. is not based on an age, right? Mm. It's, it's when, when, when I'm dead and buried, Right. And in some cases, if I died today, I will have felt that I lived a life that was 20 years into the future. Right. Just from my experiences, I'm trying to absorb as much as possible. So from an actual health standpoint, I'm getting better. So I feel like I'm I feel like I'm not even halfway through life. I'm 45 years old. But I also am trying to I'm working to make the most of every year. And, and, and I will work and I work hard at that. Not, not hard as in stupid, but hard as in smart to experience life in the fullest. And, 
So from that standpoint, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to outlive a lot of people, even if they die 20 years later than me. Or, That's yeah. amazing. I like that. That's not overly philosophical. That's actually a great, great way to bring this home. Sergio, where can people learn more about you, your businesses, anything you want to direct people to? Why don't you uh, go ahead and let folks know? So uh, HFIRE Holdings is, is our website. Uh, Hearthfire Holdings, our company. You could find me on LinkedIn. Um, my last name is A-L-T-O-M-A-R-E. I don't know if that'll be in the show notes. Um, if I connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, you can shoot me an email, Sergio at hfireholdings.com. Uh, I always like to connect and chat with people. Uh, anything I can be of help with, uh, anything that you can help me with, I'm always interested in, in that. Uh, to me, your network can never be too big. You know, and, and the tribe, the brotherhood that we have, I mean, connected and plugged into 400 some guys. I mean, it's, you know, it's like being plugged into the matrix, it's like, holy cow, right? So it's awesome. So, you know, look me up, connect with me uh, on, on, on Facebook. Just if you are going to connect, don't, don't immediately try and sell me anything because I will cut that off immediately. So that's it. Yeah, makes sense. I feel the same way. So, man, I appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in today. For those of you listening, make sure to, to subscribe, like, give us a rating and review and share this with somebody if you feel as though they could use the information that Sergio shared today. It was a lot. It was a lot of great stuff. So thanks to you, Sergio. Thanks to everybody. We'll see you soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Jamie. We'll talk soon, brother. Take care, everybody. Bye, brother. Oh, they, oh, they, oh, they. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> the Audible Australia, you croaky, abundant sky. Well, the Aussies won't have it, but the Ecuadorians are saying, come on, win it, go abundance. Grab life. Big at the Galapagos Islands and Ecuador. September 13th through September 23. We fly into Quito and immediately ship off to the Hot Springs Resort where you can put one foot in the Northern Hemisphere and one foot in the Southern Hemisphere at the same time. Selfie! Day two. We travel to the Amazon jungle, go straight into it with some epic class four whitewater rafting. That night we stay at stunning Hamadrati Jungle Lodge. Then we travel downriver to a remote indigenous village for our give back project. There we'll be giving to a village of indigenous Ecuadorians who so need our help in rebuilding their community. And of course, we will be bringing hundreds of GoBundance Frisbees to teach the kids the game of Ultimate Frisbee. Later that day, we'll be welcomed into the same community and thankful for our efforts and we stay with the tribe. We say adios to our newfound friends and travel back upriver and onward by road from the jungle back into the mountains. This afternoon, we'll reach Banos, a small town situated in a valley at the base of an active volcano. Then we'll head to nearby San Martin Canyon for a bunch of cool activities like zip lining, walking across a high, high, high suspension bridge, via Ferrata, whatever the hell that is, and a canopy jump into the Rio Pastraza. 
sort of like 12 shots of B12 right there. Day five from Banos, higher to the Andes towards Cote de Paxi. Now, we're gonna break into two groups. Each group is gonna do something on this amazing mountain or volcano. You will have your choice. Choice one, we're gonna wake up at midnight and summit that sucker so we are there at the sunrise. Now the summit is 19,347 feet. No joke. I highly recommend you train hard for this. Be ready for this because 19,347 is no joke. We'll have another group head to Hacienda La Aligra, a family-owned horse farm located in the panoramic volcano valley. We're gonna do some horseback riding and then do an epic mountain bike ride. You don't have to decide till you get there. It's gonna be absolutely epic either way. We're all returned to Quito. It's time for Aspiring Adventures, epic, amazing race. What a way to see Quito, Ecuador. Then we fly out of Quito to the Galapagos Islands. There we stay at the famous Finch Bay Eco Hotel for three nights in a row. And this afternoon, we're gonna go wander and check out some of the weird and wonderful wildlife. We're gonna do some scuba diving, snorkeling in the pristine waters of the Galapagos. Bucket list! Then on day 10, we are going deep sea fishing. This will be a day of epic nautical bombastia. Then we fly out of the Galapagos, refreshed, re-energized, and with a soul that is majorly fulfilled. Ecuador is bound to be one of GoBundance's most epic international adventures yet. And I hope to see you there. Go Ecuador! In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can